With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Chris McShane. Chris, last night was the Super Bowl, and with the end of the Super Bowl comes the end of the football season. With the end of the football season comes the unofficial start of the baseball season. Very exciting for us here on Amazing Avenue Audio, which is at least nominally, there's an implication, this is a baseball podcast, which it occasionally is. The Mets leave for spring training next week in Port St. Lucie. It's a long trip down I-95. So if you have them stop somewhere along the way between Flushing, Queens, and Port St. Lucie, 
to visit a local landmark or place of interest, where would you have them stop? I'm actually going with historic Grayson Stadium. Oh, that's it. It's right on 95. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> and, uh, you got to go on a couple. I think you have to go on a couple. Uh... Actually, I think you can get there fairly directly off 95. Yeah, but but yeah, I give it a proper send off. You know, maybe I don't I don't know how much time that would take, but I think they are probably going to have an indie ball team there this year or college summer ball team. Yeah, which is probably more appropriate for the facility, if I'm honest. I do have a soft spot for historic Grayson Stadium, though. I was like, were you there? Oh, you weren't at that pitch talks. I don't know if I can repeat this story. <laughs> I probably won't repeat this story. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I'll tell it to you off air. Um, I would go with – so I make this drive fairly regularly in some capacity, usually heading down to Historic Grayson Stadium or back from Historic Grayson Stadium or, or Port St. Lucie. And I always drive past or through as I approach the South Carolina border, driving through North Carolina, endless billboards for this place called South of the Border which is this sort of fakey Mexican tourist trap that sells fireworks. One of the big things I think you can't buy fireworks in North Carolina, but you can in South Carolina. So every board, right. every billboard that isn't for south of the border is for a different place selling legal fireworks just over the border in South Carolina. And I always meant to look up, I think finally one time I did remember, like, I want to know, I mean, this place looks like it's just some dingy tourist trap, but I'm going to look it up on Yelp and see if it is. And sure enough, every Yelp review pretty much indicates it's like a, Series of like roach motels, gas stations, and terrible Mexican restaurants. Like it looks so like kitschy from the highway too. Like it was like one of those things you could totally see like when Eisenhower first did like the interstate highway system in the fifties, like in the sixties and seventies, it was probably like a really big tourist destination. Oh yeah. With that sort of kitsch. Now it's just like it's really almost too kitschy to be the setting for a problematic Eli Roth horror film. <laughs> it's what it looks like it should be. Or what is it, 10 Cloverfield Lane? I saw a uh, preview for that during the Super Bowl. Yes. I'm very intrigued by, like, I'm not particularly a fan of J.J. Abrams' work, but I am intrigued by John Goodman as sort of a, sort of riffing on his, like, Coen Brothers villain type role. Yeah. And really, John yeah, that... Goodman, as the star of a major motion picture, is exciting to me, too. I like John Goodman. Like I said, nominally a baseball podcast. <laughs> Chris, this is your first time on in a while. And it is. Longtime listeners may suspect that that means it's time for a spring training preview. Also, listeners, they can look at a calendar because, as we've already said, Mets pitchers and catchers report next week. You'll be heading down to Port St. Lucie. A fair bit afterwards, but sometime during the spring training festivities. That's always the fun part of spring training when you realize, oh, yeah, spring training is like seven weeks of nothing happening. Right. <laughs> and especially this year because the Mets enter as the defending National League champs. We can't emphasize that enough or repeat it enough on the show. And as such, don't really have a lot of spots up for grabs. We will talk about... What spots might be up for grabs? We'll start with the most important spring training question of the year. The one on the minds of every single Mets fan out there. Which Met will be the first to pull an intercostal muscle sending Mets Twitter into a tizzy? Hmm. This happens every year, usually with multiple (laughs) Mets. It does. 
I'm going to go with Neil Walker. For Neil Walker's the maximum, a good one. Maximum tizzy factor. See, I don't know, yeah. though. I see. I like that. The new guy, get him initiated. It's like hazing. Right. <laughs> Gets, uh, I know Sheffield Wednesday, my soccer team, whenever they have a new player join the squad, uh, Lee Bowen, their first team coach, makes them sing some sort of like karaoke song and videotapes it and puts it on the internet on his Twitter page, on his Twitter feed. But for the Mets, I think just like straining an intercostal during the first week of workout seems like the way to initiate a new Met into the fraternity. But I don't, I don't know if there's a, if it's an appropriate amount of tizzy because they have so many middle infielders plus Delson Herrera. That's true. So I'm going to go with Lucas Duda because it seems <laughs> like he always strains his intercostal. And Mets Twitter is already panicking over the lack of a backup first baseman. So I'm looking forward. Maybe the first week of workouts, Ike Davis hasn't signed a minor league deal yet. Oh, goodness. Yes, Lucas Duda pulls in <laughs> intercostal muscle. And everyone's clamoring for Ike Davis's insurance yeah that that'd be something it would be something it's, Ike davis it's, could be wally's favorite player in las vegas it's true too and um, didn't he fix him that was the whole thing oh yeah yeah he fixed him once yeah didn't stick apparently he needs another session with wally the hitting <laughs> guru see what he can get I, I feel like that's almost like nailed on to happen now yeah yeah i mean dude is the uh, Dude is sort of the first that comes to mind just because it seems like he does do that. And it seems like he does it in the spring. That feels like an annual tradition. Right. I mean, he's been – he has some sort of – I forget. Was it a back or an abdominal issue this year – or 2015 during the season? But generally speaking, he's been pretty durable. Yeah. In season. I feel like his last intercostal injury was like a reason Adam Lowen was going to make the team a few years back. <laughs> that might be – I think he was still an outfielder at that point. And then Lowen made it back to the majors as a pitcher several years later with the Phillies. Mm-hmm. That's a dude that's probably had the most interesting career in recent baseball history, as far as I can tell. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, to go from that sort of minor league veteran who, who just never really gets that chance in the majors to major league pitcher, and he did it fairly quickly. And he was a pitching prospect. With the Orioles back in the day, and then converted to an outfielder, and I think he oh, that's he, right. He had a cup of coffee with somebody. I want to say the Jays, maybe. I could look this up. I'm not going to, but I could look this up. And then converted back to a pitcher because I saw him with the. I mean, it wasn't with the Jays. He was the Jays after he was with the Mets at spring training. I saw him in New Hampshire, well, for New Hampshire in Binghamton, some April. And then he made it back as a switched back to being a pitcher. He made it out of the pen for the Phillies. Like you could make a case that Adam Lowen. All things considered, is the best overall baseball talent of the last 15 years. Yeah. Having made it to the majors as a fringy outfielder and fringy relief dude. And they're very two, they're two very disparate skill sets in a lot of ways. Yeah, they are. Yeah, he, uh, wow, in 2006, he actually made 19 starts for the Orioles. I feel like that was a bad Orioles team. Probably, but he was, was. a fairly well-regarded pitching prospect. He might have made some top 100 lists as a as an Orioles arm. He's like a big, big college dude with a fastball, if I recall correctly. Yeah, he he uh, 
You can't throw strikes. Uh, like most Orioles pitching prospects. <laughs> I know there's tin stab. There should also be tin dope, probably. <laughs> well, I was doing the the write-ups for the BP Top 100 for the annual. As you listeners might be well aware at this point, but you know it's available in fine bookstores everywhere and Amazon.com in both uh, paperback and Kindle editions. But I was sorely... It took every ounce of my being not to make a joke about Dylan Bundy getting traded to the Cubs and turning in, winning the Cy Young in five years. <laughs> because that is a thing that happens with Orioles pitching prospects. Yep, he was, yeah. actually, he was actually the 13th best prospect in baseball per Baseball America before the 2004 season. And was the yeah, fourth that... overall pick in the 2002 amateur draft out of Canada, British Columbia. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, at the time, anyway. Yeah, his his baseball reference page is interesting because he has he was <laughs> he spent three seasons with the Orioles as a pitcher. As you said, he made nineteen starts in two thousand six and was basically replacement level. Made a few starts in two thousand seven and two thousand eight and was basically replacement level. They made it back to the majors in 2011 as a outfielder with the Oreo, uh, with the Blue Jays and didn't do much. The 2012, he was in spring training with the Mets. 2012 or 2013? That feels right. Yeah, I think so. And then Sometimes hit- I wish there were better uh, records of spring training stats from past years. Not because they mean anything, but to go back and think about kings of spring training yeah sure you know we'll get to that that's always a popular uh popular topic as well but then he made it back seven uh, four years later seven years after he last pitched in the majors with the phillies and was a replacement level pitcher again but to be a replacement level pitcher and a replacement level outfielder at the same time is pretty impressive yeah i mean yeah, i guess you were able to be you know in that <clears throat> 99 point whatever percentile at both of those things. I mean, I guess there's always talk like Mika Owings about him playing first base on his off days. Uh-huh. He was such a good hitter. He was also, I guess, a replacement level pitcher, more or less, in the end. I don't know. Could Carlos Zambrano hack it as a replacement level outfielder? Because he was actually a pretty good pitcher. Yeah. Speak. He was a very good pitcher. He won 130 games in the majors, both worth almost uh, 40 wins above replacement. Made the All-Star game three times. Top five in the Cy Young voting three times. That's a that's a nice career. And he was literally done as a pitcher at 31, which is a problem. But that's the... You know, that's the first two-thirds of a Hall of Very Good career. Yeah. And he was, you know, a 636 career OPS guy. Which, yeah, that doesn't sound great. That's a 62 OPS plus by uh, OPS plus. I would guess because he had a 248 on base percentage, probably a little lower by weighted runs created plus. He had a 240 to 10 a strikeout to walk ratio <laughs> in 744 plate appearances. But he could mash a little bit. Yeah. 
you know, he has 744 plate appearances with a little bit more than a a full show. Okay, perf- conveniently, baseball reference also gives me his 162 game average, um, which comes out to... Oh, I see. They divide. That doesn't do me any good. I want it for like 600 plate appearances. Yeah, that'd be which better. Which looks to me like that's still probably a, a little under 20 home runs, like 18 home runs. Yeah. Over a full season. And 200 strikeouts. That's like late career Mark Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> that's nothing to sneeze at, though. Maybe Carlos Zambrano is the best overall player. I feel like Dontrell Willis could hit a bit too, but he really had one good season as a pitcher. So what happens? I don't have any notes, Chris. Yeah. Hey, we've read baseball reference on the podcast before. It's true. I'm trying to be better. <laughs> it's not going to work so much for this show, though, as we've already spent most of it talking about Adam Lowen. So we'll move yes. back to Mets spring training. You are heading down. Do you have dates? Yeah, so uh, later than usual for me, uh, March 16th through 22nd. That's nice. Uh, That's like prime minor league spring training time. I might actually overlap with you a little bit. Nice. Yeah, That's uh, so that's the upside of it is, you know, the minor league aspect is just going to be so much more fleshed out and kind of gives me a lot more to do. Photos of 17-year-olds we don't have photos of already in the photo editor. Yes. Well, there's that, and uh, they'll actually be playing baseball. Mm, yes. As a, as opposed to looking at me taking pictures of them stretching like what is this guy <laughs> doing? Yes. So that'll be good. But uh but yeah, it's and it's actually a slightly longer trip because it was cheaper. Hotel car uh flight the whole thing was cheaper to go from the 16th to 22nd than it was from the 17th to 21st. Well, I feel like everyone goes Oh, you mean like specifically in that window? Yeah. That is interesting. But I do feel like everyone goes up fairly early to get there when, like, the major league guys are there. Right. And then by, like, the middle of March, you're just like, oh, why hasn't baseball started yet? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be – I mean, so the three trips I've done in in the past three years, uh, you know, it's been – I think one of the years I was there for, like, the last two workout days and then – you know, similar the second time. And then the third time I got down last year, I got down there. We were delayed uh, because of weather up here and a flight cancellation. So I missed Harvey's first spring start. Um, but I got remember down, that. Yeah. Got down there the next day. I think that happened while we were waiting for our rescheduled flight, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, that it's, it should be good. There's like you said, there's not a whole lot of extra, there's not a lot of questions with the major league roster going in, but that that kind of makes seeing the minor league side a little more interesting, even if a lot of the most interesting guys have graduated at this point. Yeah, I guess the one, you know, barring any intercostal strains, and they're coming, they're coming. The uh, one or two spots you might find available will be at the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think either of us think Roger Bernardino is a major threat to Alejandro Diaz's fifth outfielder. <laughs> I no, I don't. <laughs> but there are a couple of bullpen spots available in all likelihood. It's interesting. I was listening to the Effectively Wild podcast, as I do, as a writer for Baseball Perspectives. I have to support the brand. I mean, I've listened to it for years, but and they were talking. They did their minor league free agent draft, 
where Sam and Ben basically uh-huh. pick guys off the minor league free agent list they think will play the most in the majors in that year. They do it by like total batters face and plate appearances. Okay. But someone that went fairly early was Jim Henderson. Huh. Because I guess they were saying that Jim Henderson, uh, one of them, I forget who ended up drafting him. I think it was Ben. Like found some article. That makes sense because Ben's the only one that does research for it. But found some article that says the Mets contacted like Jim Henderson's agent at like two minutes after midnight when free agency started to try and get him as a minor league free agent. So that would suggest to me that they plan on or at least hope he will make the 2016 bullpen. Yeah, yeah. I have a one of my good friends who's a Mets fan is is sort of latching on to him. I guess part of it, and maybe he becomes this guy, as as my friend suggested. But you know, I've always had a thing for uh, the that sort of just above average or even average major league relief pitcher. You know, Carlos Torres was sort of my guy. Many Acosta, yeah. many Acosta was to speak a little to my that? guy. Do you want to speak a little to the Carlos Torres uh, DFA? I, I yeah, I just don't get it. That's one of the spots that's available now. It is. I mean, it's. I don't know. I, I the other guys all have options. He's he was, he's making a million dollars. The payroll's way up, so obviously the salary isn't the factor there. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, Goodell looked good. Robles looked pretty good you know but does goodell's health hold up over the course of a full season where you know i'd rather have a guy like him being the guy who can come up to help patch a a hole if somebody gets hurt and even if it's a a small thing you know say one of the top end relief guys doesn't have a serious injury but he's out for two weeks or a month or whatever I'd, i'd rather have that sort of pitcher goodell verrett maybe even Gil Martin, depending on how it shakes out, you know, have those guys available to come up and, and supplement. So I don't get it. Like there wasn't not that much change with Torres and, uh, like they could have very easily DFA Dario Alvarez. Right. Or Eric Campbell or Eric so, Campbell. I, I guess right now he's, he's outfield depth probably. Right. It's, it's him and Roger Bernardino are fighting it out for that. Like first dude up. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I just don't, I don't know, I don't get it. And then is he, he hasn't nothing else has happened since he elected free agency, right? And he, no, there was the Yankees were supposedly interested. Yeah, I heard it was suggested to me, I should say, that it's possible he has something lined up in Japan, and that's okay. why he cleared waivers because there's sort of an unspoken agreement that if somebody's agent goes to the team and says look we'd like him to pass through waivers so we can go to japan or korea or whatever teams will generally honor that but okay. there really hasn't been anything else since then so i don't know yeah it's just i mean it's weird i i know i know there might be the potential that he makes more money there yeah more than a million but, he might have a chance to start i guess there's that but yeah but yeah say know. it's you know, weird the whole thing is weird yeah, a million this year, and then Arb two. He was also the know. fastest guy on the team. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. We saw it in Philadelphia in that game, or on, the, on that play. I mean, now that I think about it, are there? And 
write this out before the show, obviously. As I said, I have no notes. Are there that many with Torres? Even with Torres off the off the 40-man out of play here, are there that many spots available? Because it looks like, if I had to guess, again, this can shake out differently in spring training when guys look terrible and whatnot. Right. But you figure Familia, Reed, Goodell, Robles. Blevins is there. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to do the righties right now. Oh, But Familia, sorry. Reed, Robles... Goodell. And then Bastardo and Edgen. Or sorry, Bastardo and Blevins from the left-handed side. That would leave you like one relief spot that might already be kind of sort of promised to Jim Henderson. Right. With, you know, you got guys like Verrett and Gil Martin and, and Montero that could sneak in there too, but. I'd love to see Smoker, like... They're not going to carry three lefties, though. No, I know, but I, I still, I'd i love to see him be so good that it makes it difficult. It's sexy, I mean, man. It, 98 from the left side. I know. I only saw it once, but it was good. I saw it once, and it was excellent. I think I just saw him in Binghamton later, too. I might have seen it twice. Yeah. I have to go back to my notes. I have a, <laughs> I have Evernote on my phone. I still haven't used it. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he, he pitched that day game. Yeah. Uh, the the day game in New Britain. Okay, so you saw game. him then. I didn't see him there, but I might have seen him later in the year because he came yeah. back for three after that. Yeah, most of this, you know, 5,000 small kids on the field, or sorry, the uh, the summer camp trip. Yeah, the most, camp, most camp of them day, maybe. 10 a.m. camp day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the literal worst thing in the world if you're a scouty type like myself. Literal worst. So that's the nuts and bolts of spring training. Twenty four of the twenty five man spots are pretty well set, barring intercostal strains. Let's talk about the important stuff, Chris. Yes, I popped up the current vine and barley tap list. Okay. So you pitched this to me, I think, last spring. Yes. Actually, probably for the last two spring training preview podcasts, and I, I went down there. Uh, last year for the first time i was down there during the season not during spring training to see the the gcl and the Florida state league team and i did i'll admit the first night after the game I'm like i'm gonna go to duffy's i'm gonna check it out i paid seven dollars i think for like a dale's dale dale's pale ale on tap or something right and i'm like all right that was whatever i'm not gonna do that i don't have any of my bowling equipment so i'm not gonna you know bowl at the bowling center in duffy's Come right now <laughs> But I went to Vine and Barley the next day for lunch, I think, after the GCL game. And I have to say, one of the, you were absolutely you had you had it nailed on. One of the absolutely the best and cheapest craft beer bars I've ever been to. <laughs> oh, they have Lagunitas brown sugar on right yeah. now. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued by the Anderson Valley blood orange goza myself. Hmm. I've been really into sours. Though the Great Divide Chocolate Oak Aged Yeti 2014 is also intriguing. Got a couple of green flash offerings. They just have like weird. They have a terrapin, so that makes sense. But they have a, like a lot of good local, like Florida and Georgia microbrews. Yeah, like, there's a bunch of stuff here I haven't heard of that I assume are just local. Uh, like Tequesta Brewing, I assume it's like a Florida beer. 
Right, or J-Dub's Passion Wheat. Yeah, yeah, sure. That sounds like a a local craft. But I had a couple of good things from Terrapin last year that intrigued me. But it is literally the best. It's like $5 for like a full 16-ounce pour of legitimately good craft beer. Oh, yeah. Which I know you can't find in New York, and I can't even find in Connecticut at this point. Right. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's seriously a half price I would say of the average, you know. I mean even even the <clears throat> most craft beer place by me in the Bronx, you know, you're looking at 8 or 9 for uh for these things and it's 4.95 at Vine and Barley in Port St. Lucie. Oh yeah. And it's never that crowded. No. No, it's uh, we've uh Actually, the most crowded it was was the night that we ran into the entire Mets beat, except for one who wasn't who wasn't out. I can probably guess who, but I'm not going to. Uh... Right, I, everybody can. We'll leave that to their imagination. Yeah, yeah. everyone can probably figure that out. But, um, uh, but yeah, that 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 night, and then because we end up there a decent amount. I mean, you know, Duffy's is good if you're just you know looking to hang out and. They do the spring two training. One. It feels like Duffy's a little more Metzian. Yeah, yeah, it is, and that, that that's sort of the you know the unofficial, semi-official spot. You yeah. know whether or not uh, I think one of the if bigger you want to see Wally, he's probably at Duffy's. I I have seen Wally at Duffy's, and uh, it's not like he's trying to keep it secret that he's that he's there. But. uh but yeah, the what was I going to say? Oh, the bowling nights. They pretty much did away with them last year. It was kind of like a smaller, much, much smaller thing where maybe you'd see a couple players bowling. Yeah. And I imagine they're not coming back at this point. Like it kind of felt like that was the thing they did and it was a good a good way to kind of connect with fans who would come down and, you know, the players are in their street clothes and bowling all as a group and everything but i logistically as like more and more people go and i imagine this year will be you know significantly higher attendance to spring training just just because of what happened last season it it was a bit of a nightmare for the security guards because there's no you know duffy's in port st lucie doesn't have like a backstage <laughs> a separate entrance it's you gotta you gotta get these guys in and out and yeah. at some point david wright can't sign every one of your autographs you know the dudes with the fanny packs will find you they always do yes i do want to put a plug in too for you since you're going to be down there and i might be down there as well uh just down the streets from vine and barley on you know st lucie boulevard west there is a lola seafood which i think i ate every single one of my my meals when i was down there last time oh okay it's a little further down the road yeah, yeah, good good to know. Yep. Any sort of fried seafood. I think the place is like legitimately owned by a bunch of like Portuguese cooks, so like the, I feel like the port I didn't have the guts to try like some of the Portuguese sounding specials there. Uh huh. I just stuck to like the fried shrimp or fish and chips and fried calamari, fried fried belly clams, flat fried oysters. You know, I say all this, and then I wonder, you know, I, I really can't make fun of Dom Smith's physique anymore, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's all really good. <laughs> yeah. 
Rob used to, and I still haven't gone uh, and and had anything there. Rob used to plug the uh, West End Cafe, which is like right next to, or not right next to, but within the same piece of property as uh, Vine and Barley. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I tend to just be a Chipotle Wendy's guy when I'm true, there. A true baseball minor league guy right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, I guarantee that, I don't know, at least 50% of the minor leaguers did the text message for a free burrito today. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. There really should be, like, if Ted Berg was still at SNY, they would have come up with, like, a Chipotle interview segment for spring training. Yeah. Where he just, like, eats Chipotle with Wilmer Flores, and they talk about baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I could have pitched effect. it to him last year. He, Wilmer Flores was the first uh, was the first Met, major or minor leaguer. At least the first one who I realized was there uh, as I was standing in line, and his wrist tattoo gave him away. Yeah, it usually does. But he was very nice. You know, I, I, he, every, I, it's, that's the that's the Wilmer Flores story. Everyone says he's like the nicest dude on the Mets. So, yeah. And he looks like he's 18, so yeah. he'll, he'll probably look 19. <laughs> he is this very baby faced. So, that is your spring training preview here on Amazing Avenue Audio. Mostly Adam Lowen content, as you might have expected. Now, we'll move on to your emails. And before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio episode. I didn't say the episode number, it's episode 171. I usually say that at the outset, I didn't, probably because I don't have any notes. <laughs> That is usually how it works. But this is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 171. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash Amazing Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio. And you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Avenue, Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Chris McShane. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris McShane. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 805-500-METS. That's 805-00-6387. No one did that this week, or at least if they did, Eric Simon did not inform me of such. So we will just move on to your emails. Six emails, more emails than we had in the podcast email show last week. None of them are from Dave's after I came up with a Dave jingle. I came up with a came up with a Dave jingle. I mean recorded the Dave jingle from Kids in the Hall on my computer to play on the show. I'm gonna call it fair use. <laughs> Hopefully the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation agrees with me. Not an issue this week, so we'll just start with your first email it's from Johnny Caps. Hello, Jeff and Greg. Hope all is well. Like Greg's been on like twice in the last two months, but <laughs> well, the depth on the MLB roster looks solid. I think they could use some better reinforcements in AAA outside middle infield. 
who would be some sneaky good AAA signings to fill these roles in Vegas in case a midseason call-up is needed. I'm thinking non-prospects at these spots who be worth a low-risk, potential high-reward minor league deal. Starter, right-handed reliever, right-handed hitting outfielder. First base in case of Duda DL stint. Johnny Cass, Roger Bernadine doesn't do it for you? <laughs> in fairness, he wrote it before it happened. but That's true. Uh... Uh, I just... There's legitimately that moment where I see it on Twitter. I should know that Roger Bernadine is probably still playing baseball somewhere, but I'm a little surprised Roger Bernadine is still playing baseball somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. he reasonably finds like a six outfielder, but... You know, somebody gets injured, he probably gets called up. You know, it's either him or Nimmo or Eric Campbell, as you already suggested, Chris. Um, you know, maybe Nimmo and Campbell have the inside track because they're still on the 40. And he's fine as like a Alex Castellanos, Brandon Allen type. It's useful. He has experience playing in the PCL. They like those guys. They like Vegas to be good. Made the playoffs two out of the last three years, and they weren't that bad last year. They really don't need any more right-handed relievers. We went over this in the show. They have 10 on the 40-man roster right now. Yeah. It would be like Seth Lugo or Gabriel Yanoa or Mikhail Morris. Jim Henderson. Brandy is a lefty, so they probably, they probably could use some sort of right-handed hitting player that has some experience at outfield, in the outfield corners, and at first base. I'm racking my brain, Chris, trying to think of a still-available minor league free agent, non-prospect, that can play first base... Maybe some outfield corner experience in like Venezuela in the Winter League a few years back. Something like that. Can play a little third in a pinch. Hmm. I just can't think of anybody. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, if it comes to me, I'll let you guys know. I mean, if it was just a right handed outfielder, you know, it, it, Francor is still out there. Oh, yeah, Jeff Francor. If you look. <laughs> I know the relationship between the Mets front office, Mets organization in general, and the, and the New York City media can be a little strained at times. Winning does paper over a lot of that, certainly. And once you have a winning team on the field, it's, if you keep complaining about the the team and your lack of access to the team, you kind of look like a crazy person. I'm not you know name name any names make any suggestion that who that might specifically refer to but just in general <laughs> but signing jeff francor he can win the fucking world series this year and it won't paper over issues with the media as much as signing jeff francor will because <laughs> <laughs> that smile man that lights up a thousand post-game locker strums yeah that's a good point i was trying to make a a, a tortured and not particularly subtle Josh Satin reference there, Chris. Yeah, Before nice. you made the Jeff Frank. Yeah, it didn't work so well, apparently. I, I, I should have known. You should have, yeah. Our next email is from Jesse. 
Love the question on the most enjoyable old pitcher. That's from last week's show. The Mets have had a lot of these guys who's next in the pipeline. Jesse, why can't it just be Bartolo Colon for the next five years? <laughs> well, I still want Dickie back next year. Yeah, sure. That works too. Yeah, Dickie with Bartolo Colon. They never did get Jason Marquis. If you want a right-handed starter to pitch in AAA, but I don't think they really need one. I would guess Jason Marquis is probably still available. Yeah, what is he doing? I don't know. Did somebody sign him? Let's Maybe. I, re- I remember when he went on I'm gonna, the... I'm uh... going to tap on the news tab here on my Jason Marquis Google search. <laughs> and I see no indication that Jason Marquis is currently pitching for anyone. It always did seem like he wanted to come back. Uh, he did pitch in 2015 in the majors, apparently. I have no memory of this. <laughs> Let's take a look. With, Was the, it with the Twins? The Reds. Yeah, it's another bad team. He's only 37. He has age 37 season. I, I will say this. His last four years in the majors which cover 2011, 2012, 2013, and 2015. His home runs per nine is 0. 0.8, 1.6, 1.4, and 1.9. And that 1.6 in 2012 he spent in Minnesota and San Diego, and the 1.4 in 2013 was also in San Diego. <laughs> Maybe not Jason Marquis. <laughs> it always seemed like it was going to be a bit of a fait accompli that he would end up back here. Yeah. Staten, Island, Stat- Staten Island's own Jason Marquis. Yes. Who, who I was I wanted to mention earlier that he uh, – I remember when he went on WFAN to essentially make the sales pitch to the Mets front office. That did happen. That's the thing that happened. <laughs> And I, I he does say generally... Latin oldies of the future, and Jason Marquis is clearly not Latin. Possibly French. But I'm fine with Bartolo Colon for the foreseeable future. Our next email is from Michael and is the first... I think of technically two Dom Smith emails that we have this week. All right. We'll, we'll just dive head on headlong into this. If you haven't read my prospect debate on Dom Smith with Chris Crawford of baseball prospectus moderated by Ezra wise over at baseball prospectus. I encourage you to went up last Friday. I was going to say it was my last word on the subject, but I'm also in the Mets prospect list for baseball prospectus, which goes up in a couple of weeks which also will include Dom Smith. Maybe that will be my last word on the subject. I'm also probably going to see him about a half dozen times in April. So, <laughs> yeah, we just sort of keep doing this. Hello, hosts. I'm really curious. Greg with two Gs. I don't know who that is. Aside, what's the lack of love and respect for Dom Smith and the Amazing Avenue Audio crew? Am I missing something? Michael, you've listened to this podcast since episode one, I feel like. You're one of our first emailers. 
I, I have said a lot about Dominic Smith over the last three years. I don't know what you could be missing at this point. I get it. He's not posing for any ESPN body issues, but neither would have 80% of the players throughout MLB history, including present-day Matt Harvey, I might add. You don't like Matt Harvey? Your dad bod is in anyway, so. That's the best part of baseball? No, you can be fat like Tony, Tony Gwynn or a beanpole like Ted Williams, yet greatness is still achievable. Last year in the Florida State League, Dom won Player of the Year. That's because no one spends a full season in the Florida State League. That's a prospect. This while having an awful first month, as well as the fact that he was 2.6 years younger than most of his peers. I assume you got that from baseball reference. And that is all players, not really prospect age. He was prospect. He's probably a little bit young, but not two point two and a half full years young. Despite those two factors, he was first in RBIs, first in doubles, fourth in hits, eight in average, and 13th in slugging. He hit six home runs okay, but the league leader only hit 14. Yes, Michael, it's because no one spends a full year in the Florida State League. Dom is also an elite defender at first and a lefty fielding one at that, so you know Keith Hernandez approves. Got our requisite Keith Hernandez comp in for Dom Smith, as is required by law in all Mets podcasts (laughs) and Mets (laughs) columns or articles related to Dom Smith. As a 20-year-old until June 15th and playing in the high minors this year, I have very high expectations for this kid. Am I off base? Again, curious for your thoughts, Mike. Michael, I... (laughs) Uh... I don't know what else I can say at this point. What else can I say at this point? I, I, I'm i not sure. <clears throat> yeah, I think you would... Have I not made myself clear on this, on this exact topic? <laughs> Look, I might be wrong. I'm wrong about lots of dudes. Um, right. Well, yeah, it happens but I think, all the time. I think you've made your... Uh... But my, I feel like my case is pretty clear. And right. I've, re- I've reiterated it over the years at this point. And if I see him in double a and suddenly he's like yanking stuff over the fence and he's lost a little bit of weight which based on the photo coming out of barwis he hasn't but that's neither here or there because no one cares if he hits and if he hits great shows a little more power great i'll write it i'm happy to write it and you're you know you can have whatever expectations you want i can't control the weather and I certainly fucking can't control what Mets fans think about Tom Smith. Clearly, <laughs> I mean, it, I'll say, and you know, I've only I've only seen him. I've, I've never seen him play in a game, you know. So it's all very. I will say his hair is terrible this year. <laughs> but even if you are, you know, if you are wrong, and he turns into the player that a lot of Mets fans seem to think he can be either immediately or very, very soon. You know, it's it, it kind of feels like a prime example of a team's fans really, like, rationalizing the way it works out. You know, like, the the idea of, like, oh, he'll, he'll just be a high average, high on base, you know, good defending first baseman. You know, that that's not... That's not necessarily easy to do and then, like if you're right. rationalizing that looked is, like is and, that I, and i made this comp in i didn't make this comp but I, I made a reference to this comp this is really toby hyde's comp so yell at toby if you want to yell at anyone um it's like Derek barton with the a's looks like that kind of like high average high obp good defense first baseman until he faced major league pitching right and then it fell apart very quickly because major league pitching is hard guys are good and look i so to me, I wrote I guess, it. Dom Smith it, is going to play in the majors probably for multiple years. 
he may very well have some seasons where he looks like a cromulent major league starter at first base. I just don't see it working long term or really even in the medium term. Because even in this era, you got to hit a lot to be a first baseman. Yeah. You know, I, Lucas I think... Duda puts up 820 OPSs and slugging heavy. OPS right, is over 800, like 25 to 30 home runs, and Mets fans complain about him constantly. Right. So, yeah, I guess to me, if if you're going to say, all right, you know, Jeff, you're wrong on Dom Smith. And plenty of people are, trust me. You no, know, right. But if if you're going to say it, then, then I think the argument needs to be that for whatever reason, you believe the power is going to break out. Yeah, that's Not what it comes down to. I think he'll hit. Right. I think he'll hit 270, 280 in the majors, and that's not nothing in this day and age. Right. That's a nice starting point. Kid has feel. There's some plate coverage there. It's just, it's tough. It's it's tough as a high school first base only profile is a tough one. You got to show me a lot. You know, look at the look at the guys that generally get rated over him as first base prospects. You've got AJ Reed, who's absolutely destroyed every level he's played at. You know, if you want a Lucas Duda ish comp, and look, Lucas Duda, whatever you think of Lucas Duda, Lucas Duda is a 55 major leaguer. He is a solid average to above average first baseman in the majors. Has been for the last couple of years. You know, AJ Reed looks like that guy. You know, Josh Bell's another one. And Josh Bell's the power is another place where the power hasn't really come yet. But Josh Bell can also play both corners in the outfield. He probably ends up at first base in the majors. That's probably his best defensive position. And given the Pirates' specific need, you can slot him in there. But he's also done it at double A. Dom Smith has not. I think that's right. I may have just made that up. Double check that right now. He's another dude I wrote up for the for the one oh one. And they all blur together after a while. This actually scrolls. Okay, this is right. And not only did he do it in double A, he did it in triple A. For 35 games. But between AA and AAA this year, as a 22-year-old, he hit 317, 393, 446. Again, not ideal power for a quote-unquote first-base prospect. But he hit 317 between AA and AAA. He was strong on base skills. He walked as much as he struck out. You look at Don Smith's numbers, his walk rate did drop against better pitching in advanced day. We'll see how he does in double A. That's a big test. Look, if I again I'm gonna see him in April. If he looks like a dude that can hit double A pitching and hit three hundred at that level, that does change the profile a little bit. But you know what? These are all things I've already said on the show multiple times. <laughs> and wrote on the site multiple wrote on the site on multiple sites multiple times about Dom Smith. I don't know what else I can say. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I know why I'll be wrong, and I'll have seen it over a number of years. 
and I'll have seen the changes. Because I've seen him as a pro a lot. A lot of people that are promoting Dominic Smith, and I'm not going to name names again, haven't. Our next email is from Hank. Dear Mr. Paternostro and compatriot, this query is in regards to Brandon Nimmo. I know you dislike his bat comparable to other minor league prognosticators. I might actually be one of the higher people on Nimmo nowadays. Because you don't believe the high OBP will translate to the MLB level with his lack of pop. However, this question is not concerning that. I'd like to know how is his ability to play center field has fluctuated from the time of him being drafted to now. I realize he has grown from a scrawny athletic boy to a stronger man, but how has the extra mass impacted his ability to play center field? Does he need time to grow into his body and is awkward? Are his roots poor and extra instruction could benefit him? Or has he just lost a step? Can he still go out there and get them, as the kids say, or is he a safety first center fielder who's afraid to die for balls? It needs to be more aggressive. City Field is a large park, but not as Brobding... I can't pronounce this. Come on. We're, already, we're in almost an hour into the show. I've had a full martini glass of cocktail. Brogdimnagian, if I recall correctly. It's German. As it, as it once was. Does that play to his favor? Is that not a factor? Is it a plus arm in center field, average or below? Does he have an accurate arm and always throw to the correct base, or is it an adventure? Would you feel comfortable with him manning center field every day for some time in the 2016 season if something goes wrong? And then you need to get someone to trade as soon as the need arises. P.S. Thank you as always for the podcast. Also, congratulations on finally on someone fi- finally noticing your ever-present extraordinary abilities on minor league evaluator. Finally, I hope your new duties does not distract from your podcast prowess. Well, this podcast is a train wreck, so obviously it is. Or hinder your <laughs> availability to create such great content. Intelligent, rational, and calm perspectives regarding the Mets is not something we have in abundance. So I saw Nemo. So the issue with Nemo is he's not a birder anymore. He was a plus runner in Brooklyn. Now he's more average, sort of even post-knee issues in 2015. As we know, he has a torn muscle in his foot. I don't think it'll hugely impact his spring training and the early part of his season, assuming it doesn't linger. But you know, at a certain point, with the leg issues he he's had, obviously he had an ACL issue in high school as well, you do wonder if the athleticism still plays. And I've been higher on his defense, I think, than most. Like I think he can play a major league center field. I, was, I thought he could when I saw him last year still. Is that going to continue now? I don't know. It does certainly ding the profile even further if he is forced to a corner, is more of a once-a-week type in center field. But I think until we see him on the field in 2016, we just don't know. But when I saw in 2015, he can play center field for me. It's 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 fringe average to average there, but he can play center field for me. For all the shit I get from Greg Karam and others about my <laughs> views on shortstop defense, I think I'm a little more liberal than most on center field defense, and Nimmo can play there for me. I've talked to people, scouts, uh, people at VP and elsewhere that are lower on that. I think he's a left field only guy. The arm won't play in right. It's average to solid average, but it's not going to... If he has to move to a corner, it's going to be left field. And that puts a lot of pressure on the bat, and I don't know... If uh, 
It carries a profile in a corner. Again, we'll have to see how 2016 plays out. He'll probably slug something like 520 in, in Vegas because it's Vegas and get everybody back on board. Now, I'm looking forward to that, certainly. Because that makes my life fun. You got to have a little bit of a... You know, it's, it's both a, a crisis and an opportunity, really. As we all know, the Chinese have a, a word that means both those things, and it's Chrysertunity. <laughs> May have just screwed up that Simpsons reference. I don't know. Our next email is from Christian. Hi, Jeff, and other people not named Jeff. The Mets are looking good, and I have little to complain about besides Azubel Cabrera and Wilmer Flores being the exact same player. I agree with you, Christian. Since it's still a while until actual baseball things happen, I say we talk about some important issues, namely team promotions. What team promotions do you think the team could introduce this season? My personal suggestions included Bobble Belly Bartolo Colon, a Curtis Grant- Granderson Salmon hat, and a Hansel is Hot t-shirt. Hansel is so hot right now. Be good uh, cross-marketing with the New Zoolander movie coming out, too. Yeah. You could have, like, Owen Wilson show up to give out the... You know how they have, like... They'll have John Franco Day or something. That's like a John Franco... Of like a John Franco trivia question, not John Franco Day specifically. Right. And the answer to the question will be John Franco, and then John Franco will show up to hand out a John Franco autograph ball because John Franco just sees me hanging around New York to do stuff like that. <laughs> I think at one of the days they had like the Soup Nazi hand out some Seinfeld related trivia too. Oh yeah, they did. Yep. I was at that game. I'm pretty sure. So you could definitely do something like that with uh, Owen Wilson if you're going to do like a free shirt Friday for like a Hansel is so hot right now. T-shirt. Also, apparently the best recruiter on the team. We got Joanna uh, Cespedes back in the fold. Yeah. That was my favorite story from the Cespedes press conference. <laughs> I'm, a little supp- I'm a little disappointed they went with the Steve Matz lunchbox and not the Noah Syndergaard lunchbox. I don't know if, yeah. they're, fu- I don't know if, they're, fully, if they're, they're fully self-aware on the marketing side of things, though. He's that fully self-aware. The, the, I mean... Obviously, the the Syndergaard lunch thing is uh, <laughs> well known, and he has a good sense of humor about right. it. I mean, we, I think but, we've all joked on Mets Twitter that he should just be running their social media at this point. Yeah, but uh, the one thing with Matt's getting that is he does still kind of look like he's in high school. Sure. So it's gonna be like a lunch bag, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So it's not like the full like metal or even like a plastic lunch box. I'm a little disappointed by that part of it. Yeah. But I'm uh, in terms of new ideas, they, like they they have so many things this year, and they've touched on so many of the players. It's kind of tough. It is. I still want my sort of behind the back Bartolo flip bobblehead. That would be good. I don't know if they go with the bobble belly. I mean, it makes sense because he did sort of. The, the, we've all seen the GIF, right? So you could you could probably get away with it, but yeah. Um... I mean, the Bartolo working the ropes bobblehead would be good too. I feel like. Yeah. They just need to have like a Bartolo week where every day is a different Bartolo giveaway. Find some long home stand in the summer. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Is there a Familia promotion this year? Uh, I haven't seen one. They could do like a, uh, this is a little high concept, but a Lucas Duda like... uh, speak and spell or speak and spay like one of those like little things you put the wheel 
Uh-huh. One of those kids' stories where it's just Lucas is saying, like, but every single one of his thing, yeah, that was good. That was great. It was nice. <laughs> different Lucas. So it's like a, you know, like a Lucas Duda quote wheel or whatever. You spin the wheel, you pull the string, or whatever it's on. It's like, that was nice. And so every single one is just him saying, yeah, that was pretty nice. Yeah. But that Actually, might be a little too high concept. If I could add one, mm-hmm. uh, I'll go with um, the not Lego, Lego player things. Mm. I know what you're uh, talking about. Yeah. The non, non-Lego branded, but look very similar to Legos. Uh, Granderson and Duda. But essentially, we follow Lucas Duda. Yeah, yeah, okay, I got you. Yep, yep. So you get you get the Granderson and you get the Duda. Yes. And you can take them home and, uh, you know. Again, probably a little too, like, inside baseball. Yes. But yes. But right. yeah, if I'm there, I'm I'm trying to promote We Follow Lucas Tuda. I'm trying to promote it from right here because I think it's brilliant. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> I'm a little excited by the Jacob deGrom hair hat. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, they have the Syndergaard Garden Gnome. That's right. So that's why they didn't do the lunchbox. Mm-hmm. Cinder Garden Gnome or whatever they're calling it. Yeah. I don't get garden gnomes. I, yeah. I, I live in New York City. I'm still, like, I look at, I understand they can't do it now, but... I will reiterate on the podcast again that Jacob deGrom got a hair hat before Henry Mejia did. Yes. And that annoys me a little bit. (laughs) I don't have a leg to stand on now, but I'm just going to put that out there one more time. Yeah. Our last email is from Josie Jeffrey as someone who has now transitioned from having scouting be a hobby to now a profession. How much do you think they pay me, Joe? (laughs) Have you taken some self-reflection time to scout yourself as a scout and try to be aware of what to improve. As a listener to the podcast since inception, I can pick up on subtle patterns to start to know what you lean towards or not. But I imagine that could change as you do it more often. What would your assessment of strengths versus areas needing improvement be? For example, I thought of a question while listening to the Mostly Mets interview with Jonathan Mayo. It seems like the national guys are higher on guys like Dom Smith and Ahmed Rosario than you. <laughs> they might be. You having a Rosario <laughs> number two... As number two to me is more a reflection of the state of the system than you being high on him. I wondered if that's because the national guys listen to people in the org and value pedigree more than actually see people. You might say that. I could never say that. Or whether it is something where they see something in raw tools better than you at the moment that you develop over time. Or it could be that national guys see so many things and it all starts to blend and they rely on industry perceptions and you're more detailed coming from a background where you're heavily focused on Mets guys solely. When you come to Binghamton in April, let me know if you'd like recommendations outside that downtown area where the lost dog is. I'd like to buy you a beer or two. So thanks for all the work you put into this podcast, if my schedule can align. It's from Josie. I appreciate that, Josie. I may take you up on that as well. Because as I said, I will be in Binghamton a bit. Because I am lacking a local AA stadium right now, or at least until June 1st. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm always looking to improve. I was, so, yeah. Um, I had this conversation actually with Toby Hyde in the Savannah Sandnats press box, I think a couple years ago. Maybe the first time I went down there for a long weekend. But I was talking to him about sort of like scouty type stuff. And I mentioned like, you know, when I first like, I don't see any Josh Satin types anymore. To bring Josh Satin back one more time. I don't see those sort of like fringy 
prospects that can help a major league team. Like guys, you just sort of see that, like you know, they don't have big tools and they're probably not a major leaguer, but they might be a major leaguer. He says, yeah, it's just because you're getting better at this. And I think he's right. It's like you don't. It's the more you see these guys over a number of years, you see how they develop, or in most cases don't develop, you realize, yeah, most of these guys don't turn into major leaguers. You know, Satin was a hit for me, but I don't know if it was how much of that was a good eye and how much of that was a little bit of luck. It's not that I still don't see fringy guys that could help a major league team, but I think I certainly see fewer of them than I did a few years ago as my eye gets a little more refined. Like, there's still stuff I need to improve on. I'm not great with sort of dissecting and breaking down hitting mechanics. That's not my thing. I think I'm better with pitchers than hitters generally. I'm better with infield defense and outfield defense generally. I'm still kind of useless when it comes to catchers in a lot of ways. But it's... I have a good eye for what major league tools look like, I think. And that seems kind of... uh, maybe a little bit reductive or uh, maybe a little bit tautological. That's exactly what I should be looking for as a, as a scouty type. But it's, it's not nothing. And you see, it's like, what does a major league breaking ball look like from behind home plate? If all you do is watch a lot of minor league baseball, it's, it's hard to level set sometimes. I talk a lot about the, or I have talked a lot in the past on this podcast about the Henry Mejia start I saw on rehab in AA a few years back. And look, we all know what happened with Mejia, um, but it's a it was a major league arm. It was three above average major league pitches. You saw that with him as a starter. You saw that with him as a closer. And that's what that looks like. And it was sort of enlightening to me to like see it in that context of a double A game. And these double A hitters having absolutely no chance up there. And like scouts, you know, pro scouts that watch this stuff for a living. You know, up and down full season ball, like kind of freaking out a little bit because they don't see it that often. That's the difference. When you see high end talent, it sticks out. You know, Miguel Sano's power. Um, Steven Matz's curveball. Louis Guillaume's defense. That kind of stuff sticks out to you because you don't see it that much. It does blur together after a while. You see a parade of, you know, two, threes, and fours in the minors, and those are the slightly more interesting guys in a lot of cases relative to what else you're seeing. I went to a game last year where I was talking to a scout the next day, and he said, man, I, I, won't, I won't name the game because it might uh, be disheartening to our listeners, but he said, man, I just... I didn't see a single dude on that field that can help a major league team. And that happens. So I'm always looking to to get better. I think my eye, like anything else, I don't want to, God knows, I don't want to cite Malcolm Gladwell on this podcast. But I haven't put my 10,000 hours in yet. So you're always looking to, to get a little bit better. So the actual question specific to Dom Smith and Rosario. Look, I like Rosario. And I say that the guy that hasn't or hadn't seen him in 2015. If you can play a good major league shortstop, the world will beat a path to your door. 
Dom Smith. I feel like I've said an ideas on Dom Smith. I'm pretty sure at this point. And I look, I don't want to kill national guys. That's not what I'm out here to do. I don't like to comment on other people's prospect lists. I don't like to comment on other people's evaluations. I like to give them a wide berth and assume they're coming coming at it from a different angle and viewpoint than I do. I mean, look, Chris Crawford loves Dominic Smith. Thinks he's a roll six first baseman in the major league level. That dude's a monster player, by the way. The roll six first baseman in the majors is huge. And Chris has been doing this a long time. Longer than me, certainly. I don't see it. It's the way it goes. We'll see how it plays out. I do think I have a bit of advantage. I mean to write about this at Baseball Prospectus for a little bit now, and it hasn't come to fruition yet because I've had other writing assignments, and I have a fairly big project coming up there too I will talk about in the plug section coming up shortly. But I have one of the advantages I have on focusing on Mets guys solely is I see these guys year over year. I think that does clarify things versus someone that's just popping in to see a potential top 100 guy guy for a long weekend. It does give me a little bit additional a little bit of additional context. I see how he is or is not refining his his tools into baseball skills over the years. And maybe that's why I'm lower on guys like I don't want to say Rosario, but guys like Smith and Chikini and maybe even Nimmo to a certain extent because I've seen how these guys really haven't developed as much as you might have liked over the last 3 to 4 seasons. Now, I might be wrong, and I'll live with that, and life goes on, and I don't really worry about that so much. I'm sure you'll all let me know by shame retweeting whatever I wrote about those dudes. And that's fine, too. But I am always looking to uh, to get better and improve, and I think all you can really do that is by just seeing more games and seeing how guys develop and don't develop and looking for patterns. That's really what all scouting is, is just looking for patterns. There are always guys that are going to defy you to a certain extent, but that is the beauty of baseball. I think I said on one of my early effectively, my first effectively a wild appearance, talking about Jacob deGrom. There's always going to be a Jacob deGrom out there somewhere. It's not a player development strategy for a team, and it shouldn't be, but that's the beauty of baseball. There's always going to be those outliers that, are kind of wondrous and magical in a way. Those are your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazonavenueaudio.com or you can leave a voicemail for the show at 805-500-METS. That's 805-00-6387. I don't really have an IFK Gothenburg update. They're in... Dubai playing exhibition games. Though I believe their uh, first Svenska Kupen game does start shortly. And we'll definitely have the full report for that on the podcast. As promised, I will plug some stuff. Uh, I hope if you like listening to me ramble into a microphone, as I've done for the last hour plus on this show, (laughs) mostly because I didn't have any notes. 
Uh, I'm going to be on Effectively Wild a lot over the next coming weeks. I believe I'm going to be on Wednesday's show. Then I'm also doing all of the NL team previews, or at least a second segment for them, over the coming weeks, uh, interviewing various writers and pundits on the 15 NL teams, starting with the Phillies, I think, on Thursday. So you have that to look forward to, in addition to my regular podcasting responsibilities here at Amazing Avenue Audio. I will not be leaving you. There's a lot to cover. I think I may have just double booked myself for team previews, too, between the two (laughs) podcasts, which was not ideal. But here we are. Chris, do you have anything to plug? No, nothing specific. Okay. Do you have a pop culture Um, suggestion? We're only eight days, I think, away from pitchers and catchers. I finally started watching Mr. Robot, and I've... How is that? I've had, like, 700 people recommend it to me, but... Well, uh, add me, uh, make me 701 then. Mr. Robot? Yeah, very good. I, Vorkanov had, uh, was one of the people who had tweeted about it um, <clears throat> a couple months ago, and then a couple different people in real life had uh, had mentioned it as well. And it's one of those things, I guess, you know, you sum it up, you're watching it, and you're like, is this, this, is, this show's on USA? Yeah, uh, they say and do pun, things. It doesn't have that, a pun in the title. That, what, it doesn't have a what? A pun in the title. Like uh, pains or. I don't know if that's technically a pun. Yeah. Whatever that is, but it's not like royal pains or. Right. Right. Yeah. I just keep and... thinking of royal pains. <laughs> uh, I yeah, feel like it's, it's about it's... time to wrap this show up, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, yeah, check it out. It's it is it is good. Um, that that's that's pretty much. I really, I don't want to really spoil anything, but it's been worth my time so far. What have I been watching lately? Anything of interest? I'll plug an album from 2015 that I've been listening to a lot lately. Okay. Um. I am a big Decemberist fan, as you might have guessed, based on my aging hipster status. <laughs> but when I first listened to like their 2015 album, I kind of dismissed it as kind of boring and the same kind of stuff they were doing when, uh, with uh, The King is Dead a few years back, sort of rootsy rock. early REM aping but I revisited it about a month ago and I'm actually really really digging it I think it's one of it's an interesting album it's a little more uh, sonically diverse than I'd first realized and there's just sort of it's one of their better sort of top to bottom albums in terms of uh sort of depth of good tracks I'll listen to. There's nothing I'm skipping. You know, in the car on my iPhone. So that is uh get the actual name of it. What a terrible world, what a beautiful world. Available on iTunes and I'm sure wherever else you choose to acquire music. So that does it for episode 171 of Amazing Avenue Audio. I believe I think next week I promised Lucas he could come on and do the outfield preview. 
that sound right? Yeah, it does. He wanted to be on a lot of shows, so. which is fine. Any opportunity that I get to uh, subtly work in literally useless into a Lucas Vlahos <laughs> appearance on this podcast, I will do. I will take that opportunity. <laughs> I feel like the Outfield Preview podcast would be a good time to do that. Yes. So you have that to look forward to. Spring training will have more or less kicked off by then. And thus, it'll be the first of our many positional previews. The team previews will start up shortly after that. It's a smorgasbord of content here on Amazing Avenue Audio.